Calling all baseball fans. Do you believe in the hanging curveball, high fiber and good scotch, and a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter? Then come out this weekend to see your Durham Bulls back in action at the ballpark. With Nuke's million dollar arm and crash behind the plate, you know we'll never fuck with a winning streak here. Your Durham Bulls are proud sponsors of the Whiskey Flick Podcast. Use promo code Lollygaggers to save 69% on game day tickets. Grab the bull by the horns and we'll see you in center field. On today's Whiskey Flick, we're just happy to be here. Hope we can help the ball club. Grab a glass as we enter the Church of Baseball with Bull Durham. Whiskey Flick. I am your host, Terrence Dunn, ready to enjoy, as always, a few tasty beverages as we revisit some of our favorite movies, music, and more. Back with me this week, as always, is, of course, my co-host, Matt Graham. Matt, what's new with you as we head into April? Uh, April, the month of birthdays, my father's birthday, my daughter's birthday, my birthday, my uncle's birthday, my late grandmother's birthday, and my uncle's birthday and my late grandmother's birthday are the exact same day as mine. It's a wild, busy month, but I'm happy to be here recording with you too, gentlemen. I'm very excited. And yes, we do have uh, another person with us who we'll introduce here shortly. Before we do introduce our special guest, I believe you actually have something special of your own for uh, our audience. Uh, we're gonna be doing a new segment each week, um, or at least each week that I'm on. And that is gonna be obscure quote of the week. I will rattle off an obscure movie quote and we will answer it at the end of the show. So stay tuned for the answer. This week's obscure quote of the week is, it's a space peanut and that's it. So think about that. You got to to the end of this episode to figure it out and we will reveal the answer at the end of the show. Nice. Well, I am really excited because right now I'm not sure that I know the answer, but I'm excited that I have someone else to help me try to figure this out this week um, because Matt and I are over the moon excited to be joined by a very special guest as we kick off April uh, and our whole month of visiting the ballpark. And that is the host of the Taco Corp Fantasy Football Podcast, Mr. Nate Molinay himself here in the flesh. Nate, officially, welcome to Whiskey Flick. You're our first like official main movie guest. How you doing? I'm just happy to be here, and I hope I can help the ball club. <laughs> yeah, take it one day at a time. I I just I just want to <laughs> give it my best shot, and good Lord willing, things will work out. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, I like the topic that we're getting into today. I like the movie that we're getting into today. Um, it's my jam. It's everything that I that I love about life in general. 
Nice. No, that's that's legit. And yes, absolutely. We are so stoked to have you, Nate. And of course, you, you, you kind of mentioned it there, but we did bring you on to this episode specifically. Before we get into that, just kind of a little bit of general insight for maybe uh, folks who are listening that aren't familiar with you. Maybe they don't listen to Taco Corp or whatever the case may be. So why don't you give us a little bit uh, about yourself? Yeah, I'm 35 male located in Colorado Springs. So that's my ASL for you. I guess you'd say a dad. That's a big part of my life. I'm a single dad. Got two little girls, eight and four years old. I'm originally from like Northern California, uh, Sacramento region. Uh, spent my entire childhood there. My family's originally from like Fresno and stuff like that. My mom's brown, my dad's white. Kind of grew up on the brown side of my family. You know, my mom's family's in that area too. So while I got the the light skin pigmentation from my father, I got the the brown lifestyle from my mother. So that's kind of a big part of me too, is the Hispanic cultures and stuff like that. Uh, kind of my vibe. Spent, uh, let's see, 14 and a half years in the world's greatest air force. And if you are questioning what that is, that is America. Decided I was done with it, wasn't having fun anymore. Uh, got to a point in life where I just didn't want to do anything that I wasn't having fun with. Now I work kind of in the same realm, doing space operations, satellite communication stuff for the Department of Defense. You know, I'm sure we'll get to it here in a little bit, but my jam is different from the rest of the guys that we hang out with. Probably the people who are listening to your show, my jam's romance. I'm into the feelings and the emotions. Rom-coms are my jam for movies in general. And that's one of the reasons why I like movies like this and what we're going to talk about today. It's for me, everything's romantic about it. So that's me, Nate, in a nutshell. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't give you the opportunity to take part in a rite of passage here on Whiskey Flick. Uh, we always want to get a sense of kind of like the tastes of the people that are coming on the show. So Nate, let us know all time across all genres, what would you say are your top five favorite movies? So until recently, I'd say about a year and a half ago, The Notebook was my number one movie of all time. Just my jam. I love reading the books. I like Nicholas Sparks' books in general, but that was passed up by Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch is my number one movie of all time. Then I go Notebook, West Side Story after that 500 days of summer and beauty of the beast to wrap it up yeah i like it a nice little balance and i think that'll result in a nice little kind of counterweight between the three of us as we break down the different elements that make this movie pretty awesome uh again it is whiskey flick so we got to talk a little bit about what we're sipping on today matt what are you, what are you drinking uh jim beam on the rocks just a good old-fashioned cheap whiskey that is tasty with ice and a cup nice the cup is important the cup is important i guess straight out of the bottle would be the alternative uh yeah, I try to fit ice cubes in the bottle. It's not as it's not easy and it definitely makes a much different statement about how you want your day to go. <laughs> Nate, how about you? What are you sipping on today? Yeah, so I'm not really a whiskey drinker. I'm a clears guy, so but it's whiskey flick and luckily our good friend Tony Cosentino for my birthday last year he ended up buying me a bottle of makers so I got a little glass of, you know a couple fingers full of makers here one of my favorite TV shows is Peaky Blinders so I drink it without the ice just poured up into a glass so I can be a British gangster eventually so and and I appreciate you getting into the whiskey flick spirit and joining us with a little bit and I love it uh, a classic right makers mark um, I'm also enjoying uh, a classic here Heaven Hill I'm actually finishing uh, my bottle of Heaven Hill with you gentlemen this evening, so. I believe in the Church of Baseball. I've tried all the major religions and most of the minor ones. I've worshiped Buddha, Allah, Brahma, Vishnu, Siva, trees, mushrooms, and Isidore Duncan. I know things. For instance, there are 108 beads in a Catholic rosary and there are 108 stitches in a baseball. It's a long season and you gotta trust it. I've tried them all I really have. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. 
For the month of April, we are celebrating America's pastime with our favorite baseball movies, and we can think of no better way to start than visiting the Church of Baseball with the Kevin Costner classic, Bull Durham. Uh, now, obviously, we knew we had to do baseball movies this month because baseball's return is imminent. But for this particular group of dudes, uh, baseball is definitely bigger than just one season. Like, it isn't just because it's coming up that we wanted to dive into baseball. We really have a love for baseball uh, amongst this group, sports in general, but baseball specifically. Now, Nate, I know you're really passionate about baseball. So tell us a little bit about where your love from baseball came from. Yes, I think as a child, uh, my dad grew up in Long Beach area, as a Dodger fan, grew up in the time where they played at the Coliseum and just hearing the stories about things that would happen back in the day. And they were interesting, like my dad would talk about, we used to go grill our own hot dogs in the Coliseum. So you'd take a little mini travel grill and you'd sit, you know, second deck up and the people would have their barbecue out watching a baseball game. I still remember the first day I had a catch with my dad and I didn't realize what that really meant until my daughter a couple years years ago, got a baseball glove and she wanted to get a baseball glove and we had our first catch and then I kind of broke down in tears and stuff because I'm emotional. At a young age, my dad taught me a lot about how baseball teaches you things about life, right? If you win three times out of 10, you're a failure in the school system, but you're the best there ever was in baseball. And it kind of just translates to a lot of things in life. You keep screwing up, you keep screwing up, keep screwing up, you get it right, you go on a streak, you go on a slump, you go on a streak and stuff like that. And that really touched base with me as a, as a child. So that was a big piece of where it kind of came from, just the stories and the life lessons that my dad would teach me about. You know, you're going through a bad time in school. I was small in high school. When I got into high school, I was like 5'3", 87 pounds with my backpack on type of thing and trying to play football. It just, it wasn't working out good. I was afraid of contact and stuff and I wanted to quit. And my dad just kind of kept hammering home the lessons from baseball. Yeah, that that's kind of where my love for baseball came from. Nice. That's awesome. So it's like a really kind of deep, like familial, personal type connection for you then. Matt, what about you? Like, wh where did your love of baseball come from? As far as like watching televised professional sports, baseball is number two for me and sometimes number three behind football and basketball, but it's really number two. Especially after watching this movie, I was like, I fucking love baseball. I started playing baseball when I was four years old. I played all the way until I graduated high school. I was on varsity my sophomore, junior and senior year. Because I was really good at baseball, but because I like had heart and had good grades. So the coach wanted like, you know, that guy in the locker room type of thing. I didn't play a whole lot. I love JV. JV was my favorite. Like playing JV baseball is so similar to what like Boulder and portrays as like being a part of a baseball team. It's like bullshit around. You have fun. You suck a lot of the time. It's just how it goes. Because all the good players are on varsity, just the way it is. My dad coached. I played and then I got older. I umpired. My dad umpired. We both umpire Little League games same time when I was in high school and make some extra coin on weekends. My sister played softball. She played club softball for UCLA. It's a big part of how I grew up. The smell of fresh cut grass to this day is my favorite smell of all time. No, that's great. And yeah, there are so many different like sensory things you can kind of associate with it, right? Like the ball smacking, the leather. Well, for myself, um, I grew up in a baseball household. So everybody in my household was Angels fans growing up. Uh, we went to games uh, when I was younger. That would have included the year that the Angels won the World Series. So like kind of all the way up through like that, that end of high school period. And yeah, baseball was just always something that everybody in my immediate family and my extended family was into. So I was like kind of brought into it from a young age as a spectator. I actually never played baseball except for like, you know, co-ed beer leagues and like fun stuff like that. So that was definitely the start of it. And then I think the thing that really locked it in for me in terms of lifetime love was actually when I went off to college and moved in with uh, two of my really good friends who I'm still very good friends with to this day, uh, who were huge Dodger fans. And so like one of our regular college activities would be throwing on the Dodger game and having a few beers with the guys, right? And we're grilling in the backyard or we would all kind of, you know, go to games with a whole group of people and have a good time. So I have a lot of really positive, formative memories associated with baseball. And still to this day, I, I love it. And I'm still 
still a Dodger fan. And I know that was one of the first things Nate and I bonded over was uh, our love of the Dodgers. That's the only reason I accepted the invite to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was two Angels fans I was talking to, Jesus. Yeah, so I'm an Angel fan. Uh, mostly because my parents were Angel fans. Growing up, like I didn't go to many major league games like i went to a shit ton of stampede games i went to a lot of quake games so they're all like san Bernardino ranch like triple a double a ball clubs i did go to one of the world series games when the angels won when they played the giants that makes me really jealous i've never been to a world series game the only thing i've been to is like a division series playoff game that angels world series i watched entirely on tv i didn't go to any of those games what a great series great series it was a great series i have been to two world series games i did go to one game in 2017 uh, actually game one the one that clayton kershaw pitched and then I went to a World Series game that I will never fucking forget for the rest of my life because it was the 2021, so in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And it also was, if there are Dodger fans listening, you might remember this train wreck of a game where there was like a bunch of just nasty misplays at the end of the game, like an overthrow and an overthrow and then another overthrow. Like it was just a like total clown show at the end. I definitely got goosebumps and chills from you talking about that because I can remember that vividly in my head. One cool thing, right? And Matt brought it up. There are many many sports in the world where unless you're at the elite elite level it's not as fun to watch baseball is good no matter what level you're watching it at any type of minor league college high school there's always something that you could take that's really good from any baseball game whether that's the atmosphere you're ten, one of 10 people in the stands you get to hear every little sight and sound you can watch at any level and be completely satisfied with the product that you experienced I'd argue it's more fun to go see a minor league baseball game. Like, I think this movie does a good job of depicting it. Like, you know, helicopter cash drops in the outfield and like the crackhead dude without no teeth dancing <laughs> up and down. <laughs> like, but you, that's the kind of vibe you get when you go see a minor league baseball game. And I remember like you can go out in the left field and they've got like the radar gun set up. You can throw pitches like the overall like cheapness of beer and like fun things to do is, is higher. So. After 12 years in the minor leagues, I don't try out besides, uh, I don't believe in quantum physics when it comes to matters of the heart. What do you believe in then? Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Good night. We've established our, our baseball street cred, so let's dive into the actual flick that we're, we're talking about this week as part of our love of baseball. Uh, a few fast facts about the movie just to break it down. So Bull Durham did come out in June 1988. Uh, it was profitable despite the fact that it was never, like it was never number one at the box office at any point. It's regularly lauded as one of the greatest sports movies of all time. In fact, Sports Illustrated and Rotten Tomatoes both have it as the number one sports movie of all time. Obviously Sports Illustrated declared it, Rotten Tomatoes, it's based on the percentage. It's 97% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So a, a lot of love uh, for this one from critics and audiences. Uh, the film itself did film actually at the stadium in Durham, North Carolina, which is cool. And this was a, a movie that uh, kind of a theme, I feel like at this point on Whiskey Flick, they struggled to get made. I feel like we've done now a ton of movies um, that were difficult to get made. Uh, in this case, it was because uh, at the time, baseball movies were not profitable. Now we have the benefit of hindsight to know that Bull Durham was the beginning of a boom period uh, for baseball movies in Hollywood uh, with obviously 
obviously, you know, a wide range of films from Field of Dreams to The Sandlot to Rookie of the Year, dozens of others. I mean, like baseball movies kind of exploded in the late 80s and early 90s. And this was a, a big part of that start. Uh, the other part of that challenge was uh, that the writer-director, Ron Shelton, was insistent on directing the film that he had written. Uh, he comes into this movie with some pretty awesome credibility. He actually played minor league baseball himself for five years before realizing he'd never make it in the majors uh, and quit and went back to school focused on writing. And his screenplay, I think, is the biggest hit in this movie. Obviously, you could point to the performances, but I think the dialogue in this movie is just super impressive. It's incredibly sharp. It's a, it's a very well-written movie. Uh, it won a bunch of awards from the Writers Guild, uh, from the National and LA Film uh, Circle critics. Uh, it was also nominated for an Oscar, although it didn't win. Uh, Ron Shelton did go on to write and direct uh, other sports movies, including White Men Can't Jump and Tin Cups. We worked with uh, Kevin Costner again. Uh, and then last but not least, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the cast. So obviously it's led by Kevin Costner, who plays Crash. Uh, this was kind of at the beginning of his fame. His breakout role was in The Untouchables. Uh, but man, he followed this with an insane uh, stretch of back-to-back -back movies. Uh, he followed this up with Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, JFK, and The Bodyguard. Man, that, that lineup of movies back-to-back, -back, like, of course the dude became a stupid, ridiculous, massive celebrity as a result of this. Fucking fire. Fire. Kevin Costner's a G from a prestigious university. Cal State Fullerton. Didn't Justin Turner also go to Cal State Fullerton? He did. He ball? did. He was actually he played ball while I was there. He was so he he was on the team that won the College World Series. So that math checks out. Yep. So I mean I didn't graduate from there, so I don't know that I can claim Cal State Fullerton. I I gave them enough money to equal the degree, if that I paid the money. I might not have walked out with a receipt, but I gave them the money. So should, I, I'm a I'm a proud Titan. And Matt, I know you do have some more thoughts on Kevin Costner, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the cast and then I'll circle back to you. Rounding out the cast, we do have Susan Sarandon who played Annie. This was her breakout role. She had done actually quite a few movies before this, but this was kind of what made her into a household name. Uh, prior to this, she was mostly known for like smaller roles in like horror type films. So like the first thing I thought of was Rocky Horror Picture Show because that's the oldest thing I think I've seen her in. Um, but she followed this with Thelma and Louise and the Client. So again, this was kind of a boom for her career. Uh, and then you have Tim Robbins who played Nuke again. This was also his breakout role. And again, he hit another string. Right after this movie, he did Jacob's Ladder, Bob Roberts, which he also directed, uh, The Player, The Shawshank Redemption, and The Hudsucker Proxy. Obviously, all three of these people have done more movies beyond that, but I'm just blown away by the like three to five year stretch after this and how many like massive iconic movies they did after this. Like you're you're literally watching the beginning of these three massive stars kind of exploding onto the scene. Uh, and then of course, obviously the other big story here here is uh, more on the, the romantic side of it. Um, Susan Saran and Tim Robbins, they met each other and began their relationship uh, on this movie and were together until uh, 2009, I believe, was when they finally split up. Matt, I want to start with you on this one because I know that you do have some specific opinions here, especially around Mr. Costner, the star of the film. Thoughts on the cast, the crew, or kind of the general info about the movie? This cast is like, what do they call it in, in football? Stars and Scrubs. Like, it, it is top loaded you got you got robin sarandon costner throwing 100 miles an hour the whole time figuratively and then also literally just go getting after it and then you've got like some lesser roles like the managers are cool one of which was also in batman and like he was terrible in batman uh but he was good in this like that's funny and then you have like their players like the other players and they're so bad like the scene when kevin costner's like yeah i was in the show he's like you never go to bed alone and one of the guys like the girls are hot huh like it's just so cheesy it's such a bad line well some 
some of them were actually <laughs> players too. Like I know I was I know, reading that it's like a, it's like a I mixture know. of actors and players. So that and may you also tell. that might play and a role you too. You can tell, uh, but but it comes together exquisitely into just like a fun movie. Uh, but Kevin Costner, like I watched this movie and I was like trying not to be, I am the king of like victim to the moment. I am whatever I watched most recently. I'm like, that's my favorite movie of all time. But I've had some time to calm down since I've done my rewatches of this. And I think Costner's my favorite actor of all time. He's in some of my favorite movies. He's in my favorite sports movies. He's a G. He grew up in LA, went to Cal State Fullerton. While he was trying to make it as an actor, he was doing deep sea diving and trash truck driving and all kinds of cool trips like he was just doing the southern california grind jobs while he tried to make it the way he goes about his career like dances with wolves didn't get made for quite some time because he refused to cut parts out of it he refused not to direct it and like he made this 10 years into his career like it wasn't like he was an established guy who's been around for three decades like he was fairly early on in his career and he still refused to let anybody else touch it and then he won awards for it. for love of the game which we're not doing this month but i love that movie i think i might like it more than this i used to watch it before i pitched like if i had to pitch one day i'd, I'd watch for love of the game the night before the filming of it he was actually throwing heat and he was getting pumped up full of steroids so that they could keep doing take after take after take like they would just keep jamming his arm full of painkiller shots so that he could keep filming and i didn't even mention everyone else's favorite movie field of dreams i mean if you ask most people what their favorite baseball movie is they'll say field of dreams yeah he's the best man he's the best I respect the fact that Kevin Costner is a dude that relentlessly chases his passions and like does not compromise on his like vision or his approach or the things that he cares a lot about. Like he does baseball movies and football movies and all these other kinds of things because he's passionate about it. Like I remember when they did the Field of Dreams game last year where they did it at the cornfield in Iowa, like he actually went out there, right? And he like actually did some things on site at Field of Dreams because he just has this deep personal personal passion for the game of baseball. And I think that's why he keeps making these movies. And I think that's part of why he's so, he's able to be so convincing at conveying his performances on screen is because he's doing shit he believes in. Yeah, he's just still relevant, still great, still killing it. And he does a bunch of quirky movies. Quirky movies are good. I don't know if you've seen um, uh, the one where he plays a serial killer. It's a great movie. Uh, Mr. Brooks, he plays a serial killer. It's good. It's a good movie. Well, let's talk about first impressions, right? First sight on the film. I, I will start with Matt on this one only because Matt, this was your movie. This is a movie you picked before we even, you know, started doing the show. Um, so why Bull Durham? I couldn't have been too young to watch it because as much as like my dad doesn't care about curse words and stuff, I don't know that he would have fired up Bull Durham pre like <laughs> 12 maybe. But I know that like once I started getting more and more into baseball and specifically high school baseball, like we would spend a lot of time watching baseball movies around baseball season and Bull Durham for love of the game, field of dreams were, those are the movies we'd watch and Bull Durham was one of them. And it was like, I remember I'd have the most fun watching this movie out of all. Like I have more fun watching this than I remember watching Sandlot when I was younger. And I, I love Sandlot. It definitely, obviously you can't really compare them because it's a kid's baseball movie versus a very adult baseball movie. Um, <laughs> the older I got, the more I watch it, the more you pick up every time you watch it because it's so deep. Um, dialogue, a dialogue plays in later. It's just well-written, well done, so. That's awesome. Nate, how about you? What, what were your first impressions, your first time watching the movie and any initial thoughts? So I like that it had a bunch of grungy aspects to it, right? Like minor league baseball is about the grind and stuff like that. That was one big thing that hit with me. But the the thing I re I think I like the most about Bull Durham is that it's like, what is really the story here? The story is the story about some young upcoming guy who's getting you know mentored or something like that. The heat, everything he's got, humbling a kid. Is it about the vet who's been grinding it out for decades? 
you know, a, a decade plus who had a couple weeks in the majors. He understands what it's like, but he's the guy who who can get pitchers to learn. You know, a catcher is a big role on the field, even though it seems very minute. A lot of the guys don't hit like great numbers or anything like that, but they're they're the quarterback of the team, right? Everybody else gets the glitz, glitz and glam while they sit behind, squatted down the entire time. But they're the ones that are are leading a game. Is so it is about that guy? Is it about the different love relationships that are going on? Is it about the minor league system as a whole? Just you know the ins and outs of things that happen within the minors, from the coaching to the other players. You know, going on the road, little little knickknack things about being part of a team, or is it is it just about turning hoes into housewives? I don't know. <laughs> like you can have all these questions that go on. I mean, there's five, six different plots in the movie and it all seems to just tie together and tell one pretty good story that you can go into three, four or five different character arcs. There's just so much that you can get out of it is what I really took from the movie. That's a great point. And I'll even echo that just in my own experiences with the, the film. So um, I also didn't watch it when I was when I was particularly young. This is definitely a movie I like went back and discovered later because obviously I would have been way too young when this movie came out. I would have been six when the movie came out. And it's definitely uh, to Matt's point in the adult movie. I don't remember the first time I watched it, probably in college uh, would make sense. Late high school into college time frame. But I, I definitely, to your point, Nate, I've always appreciated and in prepping for this podcast, re-watching the movie, how this movie is like kind of a, a perfect pyramid. It's got three kind of critical pieces that make it really, really well executed movie. You've got this incredibly effective sports story, right? Which obviously should be the cornerstone of it if it's a movie about baseball. But like, because it was a story that was like written and told and constructed by somebody who lived it, right? You get this very kind of real practical where you're, you're getting the exciting elements, but you're also getting kind of like the mundane day-to-day -day stuff. Like I think of the, the conversation they have about like buying a wedding gift for one of their players on the mound, that that type of stuff kind of makes it feel like a, a well-rounded sports movie. You've got a great love story, right? As you kind of get this story that develops between Kevin Costner's character and Susan Sarandon's character. So the, the romantic elements are, are really, really strong. But then you've got the comedy and holy shit, this movie is fucking funny. Each time I watched it, I think I laughed harder at it. Sometimes comedies, especially these kinds of comedies, don't age well. And I was surprised how largely timeless the jokes were. It was still stuff that is stuff that makes you laugh today. Well, you got something to write with? Good. It's time to work on your interviews. My interviews? What do I got to do? You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. They're your friends. Write this down. We gotta play them one day at a time. Got to play. It's pretty boring. Of course it? it's boring. That's the point. Write it down. One day at a time. All right. I'm just happy to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. I know. Write it down. I just want to give it my best shot, and the good Lord willing, things will work out. Well, guys, let's get down and dirty. Let's break this thing down. Let's let's kind of get into some of our favorite moments here. We've already highlighted a couple of them. Uh, Nate, I'm going to start with you. Are there any specific, uh, you know, scenes or lines of dialogue or any like favorite moments? I say some of my favorite moments where I kind of highlight some of the things that happen in minor league baseball in general. You know, the guy's on the mound, he's struggling, he doesn't have his stuff or whatever like that. And Kevin, you know, Crash comes up to the mound and is like, hey, this next one I want you to throw straight at the mascot, right? He's he's <laughs> wheeling, dealing, he's struggling. And a lot of it is just like, hey, don't think, just 
do, right? Which is when I talked about earlier, like how baseball, I feel like translates a lot of things to life. You can think and pontificate on a lot of things, have all these ideas, but you got to execute something. You got to go and do it to be able to get past whatever barrier you're scared of or whatever you're thinking in your mind. Like, you know, just go and do. Obviously, some of the things when it comes to baseball superstitions or rituals and stuff like that, where it's like, hey, the dude's struggling, put the garters on. Like it, it just a lot of things when it comes to, you know, baseball is a lot of just reaction. Go out there and do it like you're going to fail. You bat 300. You're one of the best that's ever done it in the world. You know, and the guy is just like, hey, well, what are you going to do? Put the garters on. He's over there fumbling with them, trying to breathe out of his eyes, little stuff like that, where it's like you got the stuff you got. You got what it takes, right? You can achieve something that, that you really want in your mind think you can do you just got to go and do and not think and just not worry about all the noise in the world those are some of the big things kind of little scenes that i really liked out of the movie I, I love that you highlighted the intricacies of like the, the baseball. And I feel like that that relationship between Nuke and Crash is one that we've like seen depicted in lesser movies that just haven't really kind of nailed that. I love the tone of that relationship and that sort of the senior taking the junior under his wing type of deal. But I feel like it's told in a way that doesn't feel forced. Like one of the things that always sucks about sports movies is when they feel like they have to try really hard to be like motivational or uplifting or all this other kind of stuff. And I love that Crash is just kind of like teaching him lessons all the time by just shitting on him like those mound visits are some of my favorite scenes in the movie like I, I love that we've got where they have the arguments between each other about like no I want to throw the you know I want to throw the what, what does he say in their first conversation he's like why are you shaking me off huh I want to bring the heater to announce my presence with authority to announce your what announce my presence with authority to announce your fucking presence with authority this guy's a first ball fastball hitter he's looking for heat oh yeah so what he ain't seen my heat it just cracks me up every time. And then he totally rats him out to the dude that's hitting and is, you know, get basically gives up the ghost and lets him get the hit to try to teach him a lesson. Um, I just think that that relationship between the two of them is just so, is written so well. It's incredibly well written. It's incredibly well balanced because there are essentially, if I'm going to break the movie down into two sets of scenes, they are baseball scenes and they are off the field romance situate like scenes. And like usually most of them fall into those two buckets. On the field, Nuke is, he's got the million dollar arm. He's got the cheese, throws the heat. He is the $100,000 guy driving a Porsche, going to go to the big leagues and crash. Although a good player is at the twilight of his career, going to set the record for most home runs in the minor leagues. Not, not something you want to do if you're a ball player. Still impressive. But then outside of it, he's smarter. He's more romantically interesting. Although Newt gets to bone Susan Strannon's character for a good portion of the film, like she definitely wants to be with Crash and that's ultimately who she ends up with. So like I feel like that dynamic helps level things out and keep things balanced. So even though Nuke knows that he's probably more important on the baseball field, he doesn't feel like he has the upper hand on Crash because last night when he was having sex with Susan Strannon's character, she was saying Crash's name. Which brings me to <laughs> My favorite part about this movie, and it is the dialogue, the quotes, the line reads, all of it. Like when she says crash, she's like, would you rather I be having sex with you saying his name or having sex with him saying your name? And he's like, good point. <laughs> like, there's that line. There's like where he's all tired. like, oh, man, is, is uh, Annie as good as they say? He's like, nah, man, we didn't fuck. She read me poetry all night. Much more exhausting. That was like a Facebook post of mine in like 2009 i'm pretty sure like just and everyone no one's seen the movie they're like dude what did you do yesterday and i'm like it's from a movie guys just calm down all the walt whitman imagery ah, so good but my favorite scene of 
the movie just because it reminds me of the most fun I ever had playing baseball, and it's the rainout scene. If you ever played baseball at any some organized level, there's always a practice or a game, something that gets rained out. It just happens. You play outdoors, spring season, that's what's going to happen. And if you're lucky enough, you'll have a coach. And I've had multiple coaches do this. My dad was coach for most of my life, but I also had high school coaches where it's like, all right, we're doing sliding drills in the outfield. Like, that's what you do. Like, we're not going to give up and go home. We can't play organized game all the way, but let's go to the outfield. Let's do sliding drills so we don't break our legs sliding in a second. You just be a bunch of kids or a bunch of guys running around in the grass, diving into mud, diving into water, having the most fun you can imagine. Shut up. You're going to wake everybody up. Let the bonus baby pay for it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh my goodness! We got ourselves a natural disaster. It's that scene reminds me of a lot like you know, I tie a lot of baseball to life in general and things in this movie to life in general too, right? Where it's like, it's a grind to be out on the road for 12, 14, 15 days or something like that, right? And everybody's stressed. Everybody's trying to get up to the big leagues. There's all this pressure. You're on a losing streak, right? It's life. Things happen or whatever. Like focus on something that's you know, have a have a fun, right? Have, enjoy that one moment of your life because all that other stuff's gonna be there eventually, right? That's one of those scenes where it's like, hey, we're here, we're gonna have some fun. You finally get laughs out of the guys and stuff like that because they're hoping for a rain delay. They're just exhausted. He's out there, hey, let's go grab some six packs. We'll break in. He turns on the sprinklers. In that one scene, just one little moment of maybe 15 minutes of them just running around the bases sliding, getting wet, where it's like, hey, this ain't everything in life. Baseball, trying to get up, trying to make it ups and downs there's a lot more to life than just this one thing right Let, let's enjoy this one moment and that that really sticks with me too it also is the best line read the movie oh well, he's cracking up with a beer oh no we got ourselves a natural disaster <laughs> <laughs> so well done so well executed yeah he's he's got quite a few really really um awesome line reads in this movie i i like that he's almost trying he's trying to impart like two different sets of knowledge to the team right like he's trying to teach them like baseball fundamentals right like he's trying to impart to nuke ways to like bring his talent to bear to make it to the show right like he knows he's talented he's got that raw skill set that needs to be cultivated in order for him to, to kind of make it to the bigs but then on the flip side he's also teaching them about like life as a ball player and like you start thinking about baseball is a grind right it's 162 games the vast majority of people who play baseball professionally right if we're talking about like you know single a and above won't make it to the show and they certainly won't stay in the show uh you know when you're talking about the dudes that make that 40-man roster and stay you know year after year after year let alone the the hall of famers and icons of the game right they're so few and far between and so i those cool little moments that are injected throughout of like like, guys, this is a slog. Like, you need to learn to enjoy the ride because this is going to sound more more of a bummer than I intended to, but it's like the ride might be all you get out of this, right? Like, you may not make it to the bigs, and so enjoy the trip. That's one of the big things that happens out of the film, too. When he gets to the end, right, and they release him because Nuke's been called up to the miners. Like, hey, thanks for your services. You did what we needed you to do. By the way, you're, you're cut, right? We're going to pull up another guy, that, a prospect, right? And, you know, pontificates on what he wants to do with his life. And he didn't think it was a big deal, right? But Susan Sarandon's character brings it up. You know, you're so many home runs from you know, the home run minor league record or something like that, right? So he gives himself something at the end. I achieved something out of this. It wasn't for naught. Yeah, I got to spend a couple 
couple weeks up in the big leagues. But you know what? When I left the game, I had hit the most home runs out of anybody who's not in the big leagues. You know, it was something that he could hold on to. Maybe had that one story, you know, his his fame to glory or whatever you want to call it. No, that that whole third act really does a good job of kind of nailing down that that theme we're talking about. You see Crash kind of uh, wrestling with it a little bit in the bar as he as he gets the news from Nuke about uh, the fact that he's you know going up to the show and he you know he he's basically pissed at his ability to like you know I, I think the 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 line is you know I've got the brains but you've got the talent. He's trying to like sort of navigate that that challenge of like no matter how hard he tries he doesn't have that kind of like raw ability to. Like, like make it there and so i think that's a, an important landing that i think ends up fueling where he goes the rest of the film the additional challenges he decides to take on when he goes to the other team in the minors and when he decides to take the coaching gig and when he you know ultimately ends up you know getting together with susan sarandon by the end of the film and yet he still has that like frustrated blow up with nuke right that he like wants him to realize just how good he has it that to me is the end of of like crash's growth journey because that's when he finally realizes what his trajectory is and what he needs to do to like where he needs to land. And it also is uh, Nuke's growth trajectory, right? Because he ends up adopting everything he learned from Crash as he goes up to the majors. You know what the difference between hitting 250 and 300 is? It's 25 hits. 25 hits and 500 at bats is 50 points, okay? There's six months in a season, that's about 25 weeks. That means if you get just one extra flare a week, just one, a gork, you get a, a ground ball, you get a you get a ground ball with eyes. You get a dying quail. Just one more dying quail a week, and you're in Yankee Stadium. Hey, I'm not gonna fight you, man. I'm not gonna fight you. What do you mean you're not gonna fight me, you fuck? Fuck, why am I a fuck? Why are you a fuck? Why am I got, a fuck? Because you got talent. I got brains, but you got talent. See this right arm? Worth a million bucks a year, all my limbs put together aren't worth seven cents a pound. It's one of those scenes, like that bar scene, right, where Nuke finally punches him back. You have all the skill, but you don't care. In sports in general, right, there's always the guy who just doesn't have enough talent. His heart is in it just more than anybody. You know, college football, right? They got the whatever that award is where it's like the biggest heart. It's always a white guy, a small white guy, right? No, he's got the biggest, he doesn't have the talent, the skills or anything like that, right? He's not good enough, but the guy just hustles and he's a good role player, does his thing, but he's not going to make it. Nuke is that guy who he has everything in the world, but it's like, if you don't apply yourself, you're going to throw it all away for a guy who sits there and has done it for 10, 15 years and just doesn't get that break, doesn't get that chance to go do the thing that he loves at the highest level and he's just the guy to help other guys get there they just piss it away because they're too worried about the the lambos the ferraris the flowing hair there's so many fascinating things that happen in that scene i think that that scene has one of my there's obviously a, you know matt mentioned a ton of awesome lines in it but i I love the story that Crash tells about like the difference between 250 and 300. It does such a good job of just like encapsulating like just how how fickle the baseball gods can be. And it's kind of ironic, right, that in that scene, Crash is the one who th tries to throw the baseball at Nuke, but he misses and crushes the mirror just like in the first interaction when they're at the bar or whatever. And he's like, you couldn't get me if you tried type of thing because you're thinking about it too much. And it's a moment where Crash is finally in his mind where Nuke is getting called up and now he's thinking about it too much where it's like yo i got the brains you got the brawn or you don't care enough type of thing and then crash ends up realizing my role was to come here and get this guy to the bigs i've been hammering on a bottle of jim beam or whatever it is is my time done i'm about 
about three homers short of the record. That's a good point. And that, that actually does segue really nicely with maybe that's where he makes his decision about, you know, later deciding to coach, right? Everybody kind of finds what their role is. And there's, you can probably point to quite a few, like not even just in baseball, but professional coaches who are more known as coaches than they were as players. They, they, they just have that innate ability to be able to, maybe they weren't able to execute the skill as much themselves as a player, but they are able to impart that knowledge. Matt, how about you? Uh, scenes, moments... I think I've went over most of them. I mean, the whole movie is chock full of great quotes. The way that this movie depicts baseball in a romantic sense, but also like an analytical sense. Even in the opening, you know, when when Annie's talking about the Church of Baseball, there's mathematics to go into. It's just so well done from that aspect. I also love that on rewatch of this movie is a you know a thirty almost thirty four year old living in two thousand twenty two. I was actually like impressed with the gender politics that were in this movie. There are a number of times in the film, there's no two ways about it. Annie has two dudes vying for her and she is in control. And that is not something you see in most movies, especially movies made in 1988. Like she invites them back. They basically have to vie for her affection and she's in charge. She is always in charge of every situation that she's in, whether it is sexual, whatever it's going on. She she ties the men up. She holds them captive and reads Walt Whitman to them. She initiates dance. She does everything. She comes on to them. She initiates everything. When we're first introduced to Nuke and Millie, they're hooking up in the bathroom and then she's like, and he's like, you're late. And then Millie's like, I was lured. And she's like, you are a woman. You are in charge. You make, you take ownership of your own decisions. And it's like, yeah, Annie, for lack of a better word, is straightforward way of describing her is a woman who sleeps with a different player every single season. She picks one player per that season, but she, it's every season. Very obvious. She's become the games for at least 10 years. But not one person talks bad about her. She's never depicted as a quote-unquote whore or pro nothing. She's always talked about with the utmost respect. I'm like, oh, you're going to have the best year of your career because you slept with Andy. Oh, is she really as good as they say? And good for you. And I just think like that type of stuff would be refreshing in any movie, but specifically for a sports movie made in 1988. I think it's really cool. And it's not something I remember watching as a kid because you don't pick up on things like that. And also we were younger and times were different. I just, I think it's cool. And it just goes into that it's timeless. It's more timeless than movies made 10 years ago. It's pretty awesome, actually. I, I do think that the gender and the sexual politics of the film are really, really fascinating. The fact that it, it does put, uh, you know, Annie in particular in the driver's seat. I do think to your point, like she's never thought of as somebody who really like sleeps around. And there's an argument you could make that there's a little bit of like, I don't know, like pseudo monogamy, right? That she's only hooking up with one guy per season. But she is certainly a character who is throughout the film. She possesses agency. She's sexually assertive for sure. Like she's somebody who like knows what she wants and goes and seeks it. She's a very clear communicator in that regard. Like she's very sexually progressive, particularly for a, a female character in a rom-com, right? Like traditionally in a rom-com, you know, the female characters are normally the ones that are more into the romantics piece of it. And then the gentlemen are more the ones that are like looking for the hookup, right? That's kind of like the stereotypes of the romance movies. And then they find love. So I think it's interesting the way that that plays out in that Crash seems to, to navigate, like, you know, I think about like his monologue when the three of them all go back to her place early in the movie and he talks about granted he talks about you know he does talk about sexual things in that monologue he speaks in very romantic language about baseball and about women and and so i think that that's an interesting role for a male lead to play in the movie because that's not normally the case right you normally don't necessarily have the male in a romantic comedy in the 80s as the most romanticized figure in the movie 
Crash is he's older. He's already been there, right? He understands what it takes to make things happen and last and to get that ultimate that ultimate goal of what you want. Nine people are on the field, nine people back. And then the designated hitter changes the things and the rules of the game and stuff like that. Like he's not about that. He's about the old school way of doing things. Yeah, I'd love to hear what our fans think about this, you know, specifically because, you know, two and a half white men talking about gender politics and female empowerment. Hopefully we got it right, but uh, feel free to call the hotline. Give us uh, something we might have missed. Well, I'll just kind of wrap it up because you gentlemen kind of brought up most of the major scenes I wanted to talk about. The only really main thing I wanted to do was circle back to a couple points you guys made. Uh, Matt, you talked about the opening and you kind of referenced Annie's monologue. I fucking love the opening of this movie. Like I had so many feels watching the opening like five minutes of this movie the credits start with like all of these like black and white shots of like baseball being played already i'm in my feels and then her whole opening monologue the one line i wrote down from her monologue that like sticks with me every time i watch it the only church because she spends time talking about how she's tried different religions uh and she lands on the only church that truly feeds the soul day in and day out is the church of baseball and that after all of those kind of like classic baseball images i was so in i was like yep yeah, i'm i'm ready for this the organ playing the whole time you're like let's fucking go take me out to the ballpark right now i'm gonna leave i'm gonna stop watching this movie and go to a ball game it gives the vibes it gives the vibes a hundred percent interesting fact too right one it's cool because there's a fernando valenzuela clip in there right and we're all about we're all about fernando mania here cool thing right is there's a picture that ends up showing and it's babe ruth and it's an iconic picture of babe ruth leaning on a bat right Babe Ruth was at a point where he had a hard time walking. And this is at the end of his career is when this picture was taken. I believe they were in Cincinnati. Babe Ruth couldn't stand on his own out there by himself. So he actually borrowed a bat from a Cincinnati Reds player to lean up against. He needed that bat to be able to stand up, to be able to take that picture. You know, one of the things I love about baseball is just stories in general, right? When you go all the way back, there's the stories behind it. And you see a lot of those little things in those pictures where you're like, you know, iconic big time pictures, moments within that opening monologue if you understand some of the pictures right and i would suggest a lot i would encourage a lot of people if they if they really love baseball go ahead and look up that picture Um, there's a lot of cool stuff like that in baseball and it's really cool that that's how it opens up i've always loved that baseball is fascinated with its history and it reveres its history in a way that's different than football like there's this reverence, even in 2022, when you go uh, to, to Dodger Stadium and you hear people talk about the history of the team and they talk about how, you know, they got their start in Brooklyn in the late 1800s as the trolley Dodgers, right? And there's this like reverence of where we came from and this history of the game that is just so unique to the sport. It's like James Earl Jones's character in Field of Dreams, right? When he's telling Ray, build it, they'll come. You're going to say, hey, they don't know why they're coming, but you're going to charge them 20 bucks and they got the money. But he says, you know, America has gone through war and turnover and this, this, and this. And the one thing that's always stayed true has been baseball. Like nothing's really completely changed about the game. Baseball is really just all been nine dudes in the field, guys throwing a ball as fast as he can, making it move, see if you can hit it, run around the backs. It's the basic premise of the game, right? It hasn't changed. You know, yeah, there's a lot more homers and launch angles and stuff like that, but it hasn't really changed from the identity of the game. Is it a running league? Is it a passing league? Is it about defenses? Is there anything else, right? Anywhere you go, you watch baseball, it's all the same. 
much like this movie is timeless, right? It's something that just kind of exists out of that space. Cool. Well, to, to wrap it up, I did want to make sure I gave one more shout out because Nate, you did talk about how the movie deals with baseball superstitions. I fucking love the way that that's handled. Crash has a great line about never fuck with a winning streak. As someone who has turned their hat inside out at the end of a baseball game for no fucking reason whatsoever, I appreciate the way that the, the movie deals with superstition and like kind of the way that that feeds into it. How's Andy? She's getting pretty steamed, actually, because I'm still rechanneling my sexual energy. I'm figuring I'm just going to cave in and sleep with her, you know, to calm her down. Look, are you out of your mind? Well, I'm just are you out of your mind? I'm just talking about one time. If you give in now, you might start losing. Huh? Never fuck with a winning streak. Um, I guess the last piece I have for you guys is, and you both kind of hinted at this a little earlier when we first introduced the movie, which is what do you feel is the message of this movie? Or what do you think this movie's trying to say? I know for me, I think the biggest theme of the film is love. That's the biggest thing I get out of it because you have this profound, awesome romance love story that happens, but also you have this like reverence or love for the game. So to me, like, I feel like the movie lands on love as being kind of its reason for existence. Nate, I don't know if you have any thoughts on kind of what the movie means. I think everything in baseball in general is romantic. I'm notorious for resharing the same quote I've put on my socials of baseball is so romantic, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be that one homer that crash hits in a different team to be able to get him the record. The little road trip stuff and the relationships that you make within the, within the team, right? That one little laughing bonding time, whether it be the people that you meet, the girls that you meet, whatever that may be, your love for the game, whether you're, you're learning about life in general. And I think a lot of times people learn about life or they get into relationships at a younger age right or you just learn a lot from it and it helps you grow right and you have to kind of love that entire process of growth whether that be in baseball learning how to be you know the star guy with the rocket arm who's real young and dumb but having to learn how to be a professional how to stay consistent and not be wild like i said at the beginning there's like five different avenues this entire movie takes i think in general i i agree with you terrence it's just love in general matt what about you what what, what do you get out of this flick when this movie about baseball and like how some people play <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, very specific so so the whole change in growth dynamic i think is very prevalent throughout the film and almost every character arc you see that uh but also acceptance like specifically with crash who uh, you know you can say who you think the main character of the film is i don't know that there is one but uh, for me it's crash and like yeah he knows that he's there to do something very specific and that's to get this dude and, and he knows it he accepts it it is what it is but then when it actually happens he's upset about it because like and it's no different than anybody in our lives i don't want to get like pessimistic but like at some point most of us if not all of us have had a moment in their lives where they realize something that they thought they were going to be able to do is not going to happen could be small could be big could be whatever the case may be but like at some point a dream dies <laughs> like it just it is what it is sometimes that dream dying is compounded by seeing somebody else's dreams succeed just a part of life. Like in the last year, I've been unemployed while people were getting promotions. Like I'm good now in case anybody's worried, but, but like going back to the, the life, the parallels to life thing, like at some point your life's going to take a shit when someone else is a skyrocket. 
And like accepting that and trying to come back from it is a huge part of growing as a mature adult. Um, and I think that's what ultimately is the final like achievement for Crash's character. And what do you do after that happens? It's like, you know what? I didn't become a ball player. I think I might be a good coach. I think I might be a good coach. Like it's turning over that page, turning over that leaf, finding that new dream, creating a new goal for yourself and not giving up and trying to figure something else out. I think that's a big theme of the movie. I think it's the end of the movie, obviously. And I think that's kind of what it points to. I actually really like that reading of the film. And I think that does kind of tie in with everything we talked about earlier with the third act. So I think that's really cool. Cool. So gentlemen, we got to bring this bad boy in for a landing because man, what a fun movie. Uh, we of course got to wrap it up with some of our final thoughts, bring this whole thing to a climax. As always, we want to uh, rate our movies on a scale one to 99 bottles of whiskey on the wall. Nate, once again, as our guest, what are your final thoughts on the film and how would you rate Bull Durham? I like that it has all the different story arcs. I like there's so much different stuff that you can key in on and have conversations about. I came into it with my initial thoughts of 71 bottles. I think I'm going to bump it up to about 76. Solid C. I would like to understand a little bit more about the different characters. I, you know, during that time, there's not a lot of stuff about sequels or breaking out character arcs as much as there is now, but it would have been nice to know a little bit more about Crash before. And maybe that's the brilliance of the film, where it's like it leaves you with all these questions. What really happened? What do you think happened? Did they stay together? Did, you know, the church boy end up getting cheated on by the dugout queen? Stuff like that, right? You never know what happens. There's all kinds of stuff that could happen. So I'll give it a 76. And that's that's really in comparison to everything else I like about baseball movies and the romance side of the house. The type of romance and where it comes from, the hoe into a housewife. The final sex scene doesn't do it for me. I think it's complete bullshit. It's like all soft and nice or whatever like that. And then they go to the table and it's like he's rocking her world all of a sudden. Like that's nothing about what this was about. Like, and that, it totally throws you off. That knocks it down from being a 79. So I'll give it a 76 bottles of whiskey. In fairness, Crash did say he's a fan of softcore pornography. So, exactly. I, mean, yep, and I that, think that's where that feeds into the movie. Yeah. The Ironically enough, Kevin Costner's first film as an actor was a softcore porno film. <laughs> and, really? then he did, and then he didn't make another movie for like six years because he refused to make those kinds of movies. Wow. And then he made, what movie was it that he was in but got cut out of? But It's like 1983. Anyway, yeah, that's a fun fact about Kevin Costner when he started his career. That is. Uh, Matt, so so 76 for Nate. Matt, what about you? Where's where's Bull Durham landing? 99 bottles. Of whiskey. Whoa! Wow. Top of the wall. Well, I think for myself, my rating on this actually climbed as the week went on. And as I watched it more times, I think I'm landing at a 90 on this one. It's really fucking funny. Like, my God, like I, I laughed so hard at this movie. Um, I love the romance story. I love the real way in which it treats baseball and, and kind of that vignette slice of life look at what it's like to be like a minor league ball player. Over the course of the seven days of prepping for this podcast, this has become one of my all-time favorite baseball movies. So yeah, giving this one a 90, this is a high rank for me. Anybody in this shower in 10 seconds gonna get fined $100? What are you one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, get in five there. Mississippi, Hurry it up. six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, 10 Mississippi. You guys, you lollygag the ball around the empty. You lollygag your way down to first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. All right, let's really drive this home with the soundtrack because we got to know what's in our ears from this movie. Nate, what you got on deck for the soundtrack this week? 
I'm a big history of baseball guy and the, you know, everything like that. So, and what I think really good baseball movies do is they bring back the 1920s, the 30s, the the big names in baseball that all the history of like, you know, it takes me back to thinking about like Honus Wagner, all that music brings me back. And then it starts off with one of the songs from Mabel Scott. It's called Baseball Boogie, where it talks a lot about, you know, bring your bat, bring your glove. And it's just all these little 50s style music of all the things you need for baseball to come play at the park. They did a really good job in portraying the grind of baseball, the history of baseball that a lot of the music from the film ends up doing for me. If I pitch, can you catch? Will you hold the ball? When you step to the plate, will you swing and fall? If you play, you gotta know how it's done. Can you catch? Can you hold on? Matt, what about you? What's playing in your ears? It's not movie related. It's just what music I'm listening to this week. So uh, I've been listening to a bunch of music by a band called The XX, British vibe band. It's like fun vibe. It's like easy listening. It's not quite emo, but it's not uplifting. Good windows down vibe music I've been listening to on my way to and from work. You say pick one uh from the soundtrack because i was fascinated the fact that this song only came out like two years before this movie came out it was really cool that like this was the first baseball movie that it appeared in and it's the song center field by john fogarty Last but certainly not least, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what's living in our heads. Nate, what's living upstairs rent-free? So it's actually a good thing, and it ties into what we talked about in baseball and, you know, bringing up having your first catch, and I remember that with my daughter. April 10th, Terrence, you're flying out to Colorado. Us, Tony, and our families and everybody's going to be going to watch the Dodgers play the Rockies, and it's the first time that my daughters get to go watch the world's greatest Los Angeles Dodgers, the greatest lineup, hitting lineup that's ever been known to man i'm really emotional about it and it's been in my head like i know i'm probably going to cry uh that is me that moment is gonna matter when you know it was it was like that taking my girls to a baseball game but it just means more when it's the dodgers and i think back to all the times that my dad talked about the dodgers and bringing up watching sandy koufax it's the first time that i get to go show my kids what it's like to go to a dodger game and it's kind of nice because 75 percent of coors field is going to be dodger fans it's what it was last year it is loud it is rowdy it is 
is Dodger Stadium East. You walk through the corridors, it's Let's Go Dodgers chants. It's gonna be wild and I'm so excited for it. It's the first time we get to meet Terrence in person. You know, my kids get to meet you and it's like, hey, I go record podcasts with, you know, Uncle Terrence and little stuff like that. So they know you and yeah, I'm just really excited. It's living in my head rent free. That's all I can think about. The Dodgers baseball season, get to take the kids, getting together with friends. It's just everything I love about it. No, that's so awesome. And you, I mean, you're, you're right. That literally sums up all of the best things about baseball. I'm fucking pumped to come out there, man. I can't. Matt, what do you got for us? Um, something that's heavier on my mind is, and it might be what eventually drives me back to baseball over football, and it is that Deshaun Watson got a $230 million guaranteed contract to go play football for the Cleveland Browns. And it's an indictment on NFL. It's not just the Browns. It'd be easy for me to say the Browns are a terrible organization. How could they do this? I'm a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. They had investigators down there. There's not one NFL team that if the price was not right, they would not have made this move. So the only reason that your team that you like has any moral high ground that you think they have is because they weren't willing to offer what he was asking. It's not that they didn't want him. It's just that they weren't willing to offer what he was asking. The only person that could have nipped this in the bud was NFL higher up, specifically uh, Roger Goodell. Could have put him on the exemplus. He's put players on the exemplus before for a lot less, but decided not to do it here. And it is kind of embarrassing. I love the sport. My daughter, she doesn't know a lot about sports. She started soccer, but she says, go Eagles, boo Cowboys, boo Giants. And it just breaks my heart that I'm like possibly going to be raising her into a football family, knowing what the league values. And it's, it's a dude who he was an asshole towards women, but a lot of them and he got paid for it. So, and I'm not making a point or anything. It's just, it's what I constantly think about. Maybe that coupled with it, Angels tickets are much cheaper and much closer to where I live. Maybe I start taking my daughter to those games and start falling back into love with the game that I first loved. And then also, I, I felt like I let the Browns off a little easy saying that every team, also the Browns, what a trash organization that you gave him a $1 million contract for his first year, knowing that he's going to be suspended. So you minimize the amount of money he actually loses. And I hope that all every dollar of that $230 million guaranteed does not win you a Super Bowl and it goes into the pockets of the women that are suing him civilly. That's what I hope for. That's the only justice that we're going to get out of this. Um, shitty situation. I, I have nothing to add on your NFL take because I think it's 100% spot on. I will share, close it out, what's living in my head rent-free, and I'm going to keep it short and sweet because, to be honest, I think I'm probably most preoccupied with what Nate shared. So instead, since we already talked about that, I'll just give a quick shout-out to a movie I saw this week that I can't stop thinking about, and it's the movie X uh, from A24. Uh, if any of you guys are into slasher movies, uh, especially because we just did Texas Chainsaw Massacre the last two weeks, um, it is really a fun kind of like semi-meta take, not like the Scream where it's like cheeky, like these are the rules for horror, um, but it definitely plays on kind of your expectations and the things you're used to seeing in these horror films. It's kind of funny. It's kind of gross. It's filmed really cool. The story is interesting and compelling. It's a worthwhile watch. So if you're at all into like vintage style horror, um, you like some of those A24 type elevated horror movies, or you just like a good down and dirty slasher movie, uh, go check out X. It's in theaters and I recommend it. Well, he really hit the shit out of that one, didn't he? <laughs> he held it like an egg. Yeah, and he scrambled the son of a bitch. Look at that, he hit the fucking bull. Gotta get some free steak. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah, I'm having a blast, thanks. Good. 
thanks for joining us again for Whiskey Flick. Hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, throw us a review to help others find the show. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with more, including your thoughts as an audience on Bull Durham. As always, we want to hear from you. So hit us up on social media at Whiskey Flick Pod to join polls or share your takes. You can email us at whiskeyflickpod at gmail.com or call that Whiskey Flick hotline at 818-660-6369 and tell us in your own words your thoughts on Bull Durham for your chance to be featured on next week's episode. Nate, once again, it was so awesome to have you on as a guest. Cannot thank you enough for for joining us to talk about this movie. Uh, If folks want to follow along with you or they want to hear more, uh, where should they go? Is there anything kind of new going on with you? Yeah, you can find me personally on any social at Naderade530, N-A-T-E-R-A-D-E-530. And then you can find the uh, podcast that I run, the Taco Court Fantasy Football League podcast. Every social you can find that at Taco Court Pod. Go ahead and give that a follow if you if you choose to, if you like it. If you want to listen to it, give us some feedback. Uh, we're always looking at different ways to make the show more entertaining and push a lot of boundaries on what people are really comfortable saying. So I think you got a little bit of that vibe out of me as well during this time frame. So Matt, anything else to plug before we wrap up this week's show? Uh, yeah. Listen to me and another fan of this show, Tony Cosentino on the 58 West King fantasy football podcast uh, available. We're all podcasts available, taking a hiatus due to off season. Um, but when football season's cranking, we're cranking. There's a lot of good football content to be heard there. Uh, and yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and reveal the quote of the week. Uh, you guys have all had enough time to think about it. You're probably screaming into your ear pods, radios, whatever, whatever you're listening to this on. Let me hear your guys guesses. We'll start start with Nate on what movie he thinks the quote it's a space peanut is from and I actually forgot about it but ah damn it I know it too I think I think I do know it and maybe it has to do with me growing out my hair you're my sister you're my sister you're my sister indeed Joe Dierte. Sir That's Joe gotta be Dierte. it. It's about the meteor, right? The lucky yeah. meteor. He takes it to go get looked at by, yes. a, by an archaeologist to inspect his super expensive space rock, and he's like, I hate to break it to you. Uh, this is just a big old chunk of poopy. See that peanut right there? Dead giveaway. He's like, That's a space peanut. He's like <laughs> eating fries and ketchup off it. I don't that movie's not on our list, and it is a dumb movie, but it might be one of the best dumb movies of all time. I dig it. Uh, Well, shout out to Matt and Nate, obviously, who are here, and Tony uh, from 58 West King and Taco Corp. You can find the link to both of those podcasts uh, in our show notes. Give them a listen, check them out, shoot them a a subscribe, a review, all that good stuff. Give them a follow before football season starts. So thanks again, as always, for checking out Whiskey Flick. We will see you next week for more on Bull Durham. And two weeks from now, we will continue paying homage to the Church of Baseball. But it's going to be a little more family friendly as we get into 1993's The Sandlot. Until then, gentlemen, and to all of our listeners, let's keep that whiskey flowing and the flicks going. We'll see you next time. As long as there is whiskey in the world. As long as there is whiskey. As long as there is whiskey. As long as there is whiskey in the world. They're just like this in this window. I heard this is where that 50 I heard this is where that, <laughs> that whiskey like, flick podcast is recorded. Like, Fuck you, whiskey flick. <laughs> Ha, <laughs>